Sunday's class is an interesting class as we work through the context Bible. We're a little bit ahead in Acts of where uh, Pastor David is and where the church is. So today, Pastor David was talking about Paul uh, before, during, and after the conversion of Paul, transitioning from his life as a, uh, a persecutor to life as a missionary. We're actually a little bit further than that in this class because we're we're because we've kept up with the schedule. And so we've talked about how Paul uh, uh, lived in a world where there were already Christian communities in different places, but Paul, in his first missionary trip, uh, uh, worked in the Galatian churches. We looked at the Galatian letter. His second missionary trip was one in the center circle. Spain doesn't come till later. But in the center circle, Paul went to Philippi. He went to Thessalonica. We get Thessalonians from that. He went to Berea. We know he went to Athens. We know he went to Corinth. And that's when he started preaching in Corinth. So we throw that back up there just to sort of fill in the map so that you're seeing Paul's taking the gaps where the gospel was missing and being taken by God into those gaps to teach and proclaim Jesus, the crucified Savior of the world. So in the process of that, Paul's keeping up with the churches where he's been. He wrote Galatians to the Galatian church. He wrote Thessalonians to the Thessalonian church. And it was an important thing for him to do. Thessalonia, uh, Thessalonica is the, 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 t- is the city today. Thessalonica was very important to Paul for letter writing because Paul left in the middle of the night. Paul basically got run out of town. So he did not have a chance to tell the church final instructions. So Paul had only been there for a few weeks. He's got a church that's a a newborn, an, an infant church. And in its infancy, it was missing some things. So, for example, the church knew that Jesus was going to come again. Paul taught that. He taught that Jesus... Jesus. You know, the the Christian faith is not simply a faith about how we change the way we live today. The Christian faith is an affirmation that the Lord Jesus Christ will physically come back to this earth and take his people with him. Now, the Thessalonians knew that much from Paul, but then Paul leaves and some of their members die. And they start, oh no, they're going to miss out on the second coming. Jesus is going to come back. And since some of our, they thought he might be back any day now. They didn't know we'd be talking about this in 2014. And so they're thinking, you know, it might be tomorrow. And you can imagine someone with a a relative or a loved one on the deathbed. Hang on, hang on. Jesus is coming back. They just didn't understand. They were a baby church. So Paul's writing to not only put them at ease about some issues, but to also continue to teach and encourage them in other issues as well. And so I want us to look at the Thessalonian letters today. We're going to look at Paul writing First and Second Thessalonians. And as we look at it, I want to do it with a, a, a premise Here's the premise. How you think affects what you do. I want to underscore this. How you think affects what you do. I don't see Max Bowman here. Is Max here and just not in his usual seat? Okay, Max is not here today. Max is a football coach. He's not just a football coach today. He used to coach the Buffalo Bills. He's been a a major football coach on as high a level as there. Well, Buffalo Bills isn't really that high a level. But (laughs) sorry. But it's reasonably high. 
and no one from Houston can really talk. <laughs> but I guarantee you I could call Max up on this stage right now. And Max would tell us that how you think affects what you do as an athlete. There are athletes that envision, you know, go back, okay, all you young kids who don't understand that Michael Jordan is so far beyond LeBron James, you'll never be able to get it. Go back and look at Michael Jordan as a basketball player. In a game where the Chicago Bulls have, for all practical purposes, won the game. It's not even close. Michael Jordan gets fouled. He goes to the free throw line to shoot a free throw. A heckler, which, by the way, I think is a fine occupation. A, a heckler yells at Michael Jordan, and you can hear it because ESPN's cameras are sitting there courtside so that they've got the right view of Michael Jordan shooting the free throw. A heckler yells, shoot it with your eyes closed. And Michael Jordan looks at him, points, closes his eyes, dribbles a few, swish, nothing but net with his eyes closed. He's done that in his mind so many times. As you think, so you do. If you think you cannot do something, the odds are you won't be able to do it. If you think you may be able to do something, you will be amazed at what you can do. If you think garbage... You will live like garbage. There's a reason Paul told the Philippians, whatever is true, whatever is right, no, honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, think on these things. Because how you think affects how you live. So many people are so frustrated over their lack of control in their lives. When that control needs to first start in how they think. There, there are, there's a correct policing of our minds. And now here's the deal. Let, let me, let me get picturesque for a moment. This is your picture for the day that I didn't think to put in the Elmo because it didn't occur to me until church this morning, or I put in the PowerPoint until church this morning, so I throw it on the Elmo. Uh, that's got me drawing about like that. Let me draw a little bit bigger. Okay, this is a piece of spaghetti. And we abbreviate it because we don't know how to spell it. Okay, there's a piece of spaghetti. It might have an H, might not have an H, two T's, one T. I don't really know. I eat the stuff. I don't write it. So that's a piece of spaghetti. Now that can be your Christian life. But then you, you, you get some nourishment from it. I'm in this vigorous diet mode right now. I've got to lose weight because I start trial in two weeks, and this is the only suit I have that fits. <laughs> it's been a good summer. I never met a bowl of spaghetti I didn't eat. Now, you can get some nourishment from that spaghetti. It's only about three calories for the stick, the pasta stick. Here's the deal. If you really want nourishment, don't go for the one simple piece of spaghetti. Go for the bowl of spaghetti. 
That's where the real nourishment is. That's got energy. That's got taste. That's the full meal deal. Okay? The Christian life is one where if you exist and all you really do in your Christian walk is the bare minimum, you're just that single strand of spaghetti. And you'll make it through life. And there'll be tough times and things, but at the end, you're a single strand of spaghetti. But if you'll live your life in the full meal deal, if you'll live your life where you're bumping into God, you're learning about God, you're in church, you're in His Word, you're studying, your noodle is getting all crinked and built and restructured and shaped and all these other noodles are entering in and they're changing who you are and they're changing how you do things and you're a whole bowl of spaghetti and how did you get to be that bowl? You can't even trace it down. You can't look at a good bowl of spaghetti and find the start and the end of a noodle just by looking. Because it's all interconnected and interwoven. I want that picture in your head. We're going to come back to it as we go through class, okay? Back to the PowerPoint. So how you think affects what you do. It's not the only thing that affects it. That's the bowl of spaghetti. But it is a major thing that affects it. And so you want your thinking to be godly and influenced in godly ways. Because you want your life to be godly. Why? We'll get to that later. Let's keep moving. So, here's what it is. If it's linked together like a chain, and how you think is linked to what you do, then Paul says, let's get our thinking right. So that we get our lives right. For Paul, it's important how you think. Because he knew how you think affects how you live. And it's important how you live. Is it important how you live because it's how you get to heaven? No. It's important how you live because, number one, you are God's. And when you live the way he tells you to live, you're better living within His plans. And that's fulfilling for you. And that's fulfilling for me. And that's fulfilling for His kingdom. It helps the whole thing come together right. It gives purpose and meaning to your life. It gives peace to your life. God doesn't give us instructions just because He's a... He's an instruction Nazi. It's not just because he's really into giving rules. God gives us instructions to change our lives so that we live the kind of lives that we ought to live. Jesus did not say, I came that you might have life and have it stinky. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. God wants us to have the full bowl of spaghetti. So Paul, in his letters, will spend time talking about thinking. Thinking right about God. Thinking right about this world. Thinking right about life. Thinking right about things. And then he'll talk about living. Because you've got to think right to live right. You with me? Okay, so let's go with this. Um, Oh, no, we're not going there yet. First, we're going to give an example from our reading. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look what Paul has to say. And we're going to dedicate about 10 minutes to this passage, and then we'll move on to the next point. Uh, Button, 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 button. Okay, so this is chapter 4 of the letter. Paul says, finally, finally, then brothers, we ask 
and urge you in the Lord Jesus that as you received from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you're doing, do so more and more. That applies to every believer. I mean, I, I can look at my life and I can tell there were phases in my life where I was more attentive to how I walked than other times in my life. But it doesn't matter where you are in that attention scale. Paul is saying, be more. You may be on like doing 70 down the highway. Do more. That's probably a bad illustration. <laughs> beep, 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 back it up. You may be just cruising down the highway of life thinking everything's great. Do more. More. Paul doesn't want it missed. He says do so more and more. You know the instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. This is the will of God. Your sanctification. <clears throat> now, let's pause for a minute and make sure everybody knows these words. Many of you will. If you know them, you can be bored for a moment. But these are two important Bible words. And they mean something different. Sanctification. And justification. Whoops, that was absolutely useless. There we go. Sanctification, justification and sanctification. Two different words. Justification is a legal word. It refers to being justified or declared just, righteous, okay. It's going into court and being declared not guilty. It's walking. It's being declared just by God. It's that word Paul used in Romans 3 when he said, Hey, all of you who think that you're failing by keeping the law, don't panic. There is a justification that comes... Apart from what you're doing, it's the justification that comes from believing in Jesus. So you are made right with God. You are justified by the blood of Jesus. It's not based on what you do. It's not based on what I do. It's based on what He did. He paid the penalty... For our sins. So we could be declared right or justified. Everybody got the word? Sanctified. Okay, how many of you watch uh, Catholic movies? Or movies with Catholic priests in them? Oh, come on. Who didn't see The Godfather 1, 2, and 3? <laughs> Who hasn't seen a priest... Pronounce in Latin, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, Spiritus Sanctus. Sanctus. Sanctus? Sanctus. Yes, that is the Latin word for holy. Sanctus, sanctified, is being made holy. In how we live. We're declared right. In a sense declared holy. Declared to be saints. But that process of transforming into holy. Is sanctification. Y'all with me? Okay. So that's what Paul's saying here. Paul's saying, this is the will of God, your sanctification. God doesn't want you to be dirty, corroded, crusty, miserable, unable to withstand the pressures of the world, 
crumbling, falling apart at enmity, fighting with everyone, fighting with yourself, finding no peace in this world. That's not what God wants. God wants you to be sanctified. So here's what it involves. That you abstain, that means stay away from, sexual immorality. Well, it's kind of hard to misunderstand that. Well, um, but, uh, you know, we all have a sex drive. Okay? Well, I mean, we're not going to... Time out. Sexual immorality. You, what you think affects what you do. Sexual immorality starts right here. And that's what Jesus taught his disciples as well. He says it's not good enough that you don't commit adultery. You don't need to be lusting. Abstain from sexual immorality. Well, yeah, but it's not uh, bad if I don't get caught. Wrong. It affects who you are. And it affects what you do. And we're not called to be that way. I go back to my my fella, my bud, who drives me around in New York City a bunch when I'm up there, Jose. Jose said to me one time, he, he's the one, if you recall, I've referenced him before, he doesn't say God. He talks about the big man upstairs. That's all it is to him. It's the big man upstairs. He says, what I don't get, is how people can live 30, 40, 50 years ignoring the big man upstairs, and then when something bad happens, they go to him and say, oh, this has happened, it's horrible, now I need help from the big man upstairs. He says, it seems to me, you need to be with him for the last 20, 30, 40 years, then you're already in with him. I said, well, I don't quite see it that way. He always wants to hear from us. And if we've not talked to him in 30, 40, 50 years, he still cries for our voice. But we will be a different person than if we'd been walking with him 30 or 40 or 50 years. Sexual immorality will change who you are and not for the better. It's that simple. If you put your hand in fire, you get burned. It's that simple. Doesn't mean God loves you any less. But it is that simple. Each one of you know how to control his own body. In holiness and honor. Not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who don't know God. That no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. The Lord is an avenger in all these things. We told you beforehand. We solemnly warned you. God has not called us for impurity. He's called us in holiness. If you disregard this, you're not just disregarding Paul. Oh, Paul. He's hung up on that thing. You're not just disregarding Paul. You're disregarding God who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Paul says more. Now concerning brotherly love, you don't have need for anyone to write to you. You already have been taught to love one another. But even though they knew that, look what he says to them again. He says, but we urge you brothers to do this more and more. See, this is sanctification. Don't ever be satisfied with where you are with the Lord. Know that the Lord wants you to grow. If any of you, if any of you hit the point where you're perfect, please let me know. Hearing no one answer, we move on. Aspire to live quietly, to mind your own affairs, to work with your hands as we instructed you. Walk properly before outsiders. Be dependent on no one. Um, live quietly. There is no way Stephanie Chase can ever live quietly. I don't know why we hand her a microphone. She can project. 
that's not what the, the Paul's instructing. He's not chiding Stephanie Chase, who, by the way, I think may be the best person at what she does of any church in this country. We're so blessed to have her. But that's not what Paul's saying, live quietly. Paul's saying that you live with a devoted mind to living right before God. This is not a life that's based upon drawing attention to yourself. This is a life that's based on doing right where you are before God. And in that way, the attention you draw to yourself will be attention you're drawing to God. Make sense? Now, Paul continues to talk. uh, um, By the way, this is really neat. We put in some other readings as well that that are very similar because Paul does this in lots of letters. So we put in 1 Timothy chapter 2 where Paul says, as part of sanctification, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, thanksgivings be made for all people, for for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. Now, if I'm just this noodle, if I'm this spaghetti noodle, And I've given my life to the Lord, but I'm not engaging in His Word, either through personal study, through coming to church, through staying an extra hour. If I'm not engaging with God, I'm just this flatline noodle. But when we start engaging with the Word of God and we start seeing this stuff, and we see Paul say, prayers, supplications, prayers, intercessions be made for all people, For kings, people that are in a high position. Wait, does that mean I need to pray for President Obama? Yes. Does that mean my prayer should be, you know, do you remember Fiddler on the Roof? When the rabbi is approached by one of the villagers, and the rabbi says, uh, 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 the villager says, Rabbi, you say there's a prayer for everybody. Is there a a blessing for is there a blessing for the Tsar? The rabbi says, May God bless and keep the Tsar far away from us. (laughs) This is not pray for President Obama like may the lawsuit against Obama work, may he be impeached. I'm not saying maybe you're led to pray that way. That's fine. But Paul's telling you to pray differently. We need to be praying for the hearts and souls and minds of all of our leaders. Lord, give them wisdom. Lord, bring them to their knees in humility. Lord, teach them your ways. May they hear the cry of your spirit. May they fall humbly before you. May they acknowledge you, Lord Jesus. And if they don't, at least don't let them mess things up for your kingdom. That we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, goodly, dignified in every way. You see, when we start engaging the word of God, we start seeing things like, I need to pray differently. And it changes our flatline noodle. And our lives start taking a different course. And I think, wait, I'm not allowed to be sexually immoral. Well, that that puts a kink in my plans for the weekend. Oh, yeah. So now my noodle went down. And then, wait, i got to pray for the president. I never dreamed of that. That's a, That puts a real kink in things. And then and what else do I got? Lead a godly, dignified, quiet life. That's exact. Uh, that's going backwards from where I was. And before you know it, You're fashioning a bowl of spaghetti as you grow. This is good. It's pleasing in the sight of God our Savior. Who desires all people to be saved. And to come to the knowledge of the truth. The knowledge of the truth. What you know affects who you are and what you do. If you don't know the gospel, you don't come to Jesus. We love because He first loved us. 
How do we know that? Because greater love has no man than to give his life for a friend. What we know, what we think, what we understand affects who we are, what we do, the choices we make, how we live. There's one God, there's one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Paul's telling them what they know and then saying to Timothy, I desire then... Because of what we know about Jesus, I desire that in every place the men should pray lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. That means your holy hands come up in holiness, not in Stallone-ness. Adrian. Likewise, also... started to give a shameless plug for The Expendables 3, which is now out, but I decided not to. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and golds or pearls or costly attire. Now, I know what you're thinking. Please, Mark, don't make us hold up our hands if we have on gold. I'm not going to, because I'll bet... A bunch of you do. I love my daughters when their hair is braided. Okay, We got to remember Paul's writing in a different culture. He's writing, and, and let me put his language into our language. Give me the liberty of translating this without showing you the documents of why I, I believe it to be true. I'm glad to do that, or you can find it in other lessons I've taught. But in the interest of time... Let me just put this into 21st century English. Women, dress modestly. Don't walk around like a hooker. Don't walk around like a seductress. Don't walk around in a way where anybody who sees you is going to start fighting against licentious, lustful, or curious thoughts. You can do that and wear gold and pearls in the 21st century, so you're okay. Profess godliness with good works. This is, this is what he's saying. You know, he's got this litany of stuff. Titus. Titus and Philemon. Hebrews. Titus 2, we read. Look at Titus 2. As I go through this, find something that speaks to you where you say, my sanctification, I need to work on that. I need to change my way of thinking. I need to, to, to change my way of living. Teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober-minded, dignified, self-controlled. Uh, don't start thinking, hey, I'm not an older man. I don't have to be self-controlled. Whew, I'm glad he just kept that for the old men. Sound in faith, in love, and steadfastness. It doesn't work that way, okay? But look at this. If you're an older man... Ask yourself, how's God working in me to be sober-minded? <laughs> Some men just be sober. <laughs> sober-minded. How's God working in me to be dignified? How's God working in me to be self-controlled? To be sound in faith, in love, in steadfastness. Older women, not that there are such things. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior. Not slanderers. Not slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. Older women, you have a responsibility to teach and to train younger women. They watch you. If they're in your house, they may rebel against you, but they still watch you. 
Because what you do will fashion what they think. And what they think affects what they do. Uh Uh-oh, look at this. They're going to train the young women to be self controlled. He says it again. Self-controlled. Pure. Working at home. By the way, I am not someone who believes all women have to work at home. Okay? But if women choose to work at home, they need to work at home. If men choose to work at home, they need to work at home. We live in a society where generally both sides need to work at home because often both sides need to work outside the home. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not making those judgment calls. That's not what this class is about. Just don't get caught up in it right now. We can discuss those later. They're important discussions to have. They affect the way our spaghetti forms. Okay, we're getting more kinks in the spaghetti as we go. In fact, this is a whole brand new strand of spaghetti now. This thing's going like this. Let's discuss it. Let's debate it. Let's talk about it. That's healthy and that's wholesome. Let's just be careful uh, uh, throwing judgments around. But it is good to be kind. That's the word to get hung up on. Let's teach kindness. Submissive to their own husbands. Uh, Uh... Uh, I don't want to get into that right now either. That's a big fuss. Uh, that's a big fuss. Yeah, that's let's that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Boy, Paul seems hung up on that word. So now he's got the old men to be self-controlled, the old women to be self-controlled, and to teach it to the young women, and he expects the young men to be self-controlled. In fact, if we jump all the way down to verse 11 and 12, Paul says, there we go, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Sumphroneo in the Greek. Self-controlled. To living under, well not under, to, to living with, to living with um, uh, 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 an ability to, to, to exercise control over who you are and what you're doing. And you say, well I can't do that. Well, I got to tell you something. I can't bench bench press 200 pounds with one arm. (laughs) Or two. (laughs) At this point in my life. But if I'm ever going to, I don't just walk up to the bar and lay down there and, I can't do it. Okay, well, I'll live a different life. No, I better start with 120, 130, 140, 150 and work my way up and get into shape. Your self-control may stink. So? So did theirs or Paul wouldn't have to keep writing to him saying, Hey, teach it! It's something that can be learned. Okay. I've done enough on this and I'm going to run out of time. I've spent way too much time. So now let's go back to the PowerPoint. Let's move to a different day's reading. I want to talk about the story of Philipsis. And I can do this pretty quick, but I need your help. Say, Philipsis. Philipsis. Is that a cool sounding word? Philipsis. Just, Philipsis rolls off the lipsis. many of you have ever had Philipsis? Yes, raise your hands. Trust me on this one. Just go with me. Yes, you have. Philipsis rolls off Philipsis. Let me tell you about Philipsis. Philipsis is a Greek word. And there's a picture that goes with it in the Greek. Put a rope on the side of Philipsis. And with that rope, you can kind of pull Philipsis along. Okay, you got it? 
You got a rope there to pull it, right? Now to get real flipsless, you need a second rope. So let's throw another rope up there. Let's take one rope and pull it one way. Let's take the other rope and pull it the other way. You know that part in the middle? That's called philipsis in the Greek. Philipsis is that part in the middle that gets squeezed from being pulled two different directions. That's philipsis. It's translated in terms of our lives with the word affliction. But that word affliction is philipsis. Now, have you ever been afflicted? Have you ever been philipsis? Have you ever had one thing pulling you this way and another one pulling you that way such that you're so scrunched that you just don't know how you're going to make it? That's philipsis. Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Ah, we got about five minutes, then we need to hit points for home. Okay, we're going to do this fast. You ready? Paul, Savannah, Timothy, the church, the Thessalonians, God, our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ, grace you in peace, and God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, verse 3. We ought always to give thanks to God for your brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. It's growing more and more like I asked it to in the first letter. So we boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Now, hupomone is steadfastness. Hupomone. Let's write this down. By the way, here, hupomone. Um, I'll write it in English for you. Hupomone. Okay? Here's... It doesn't just mean patience. Um, steadfastness in the Greek, hupomone, is not just a, okay, I've got affliction. Um, I'm just going to, one, two, three, four, five, count to ten. No, it's not patience at all. Steadfastness, hupomone, means a, um, um, it's, it's, it's aggressive, actually. It's, it's an active, am I showing on the screen? Yes. An active resistance to some hostile power or problem. Even if you don't think you'll be successful. It's, it, a steadfastness is a recognition it's not a lay down and take it. It's a recognition that I'm going to fight against it by the strength and the power and the wisdom and the direction of God. But I'm going to do it enduring it, knowing it's not going to end the affliction probably. Maybe it will, maybe it won't. I'm not asserting success, but by the power of God, I'm going to be steadfast and resolute. I'm not running. I'm not crying and whimpering in fear. There's a time for that, by the way. You can cry and whimper in fear for a little while till God is your resource and recharges you to go in there. But the ultimate thing you're going to do is you're going to be steadfast. You're going to stand resolute. You are going to stand in the power of God. He says you can do this because, here you need to know this, Evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God for which you're suffering. God considers it just to replay affliction with affliction those who afflict you. God's going to reckon the books. He just doesn't do it at the end of each month. But He will bring a full accounting. And what we as believers have to do is say, hey, my Lord Jesus suffered. He was afflicted. He was in Thalipsis. And he trusted in God and God delivered him. He didn't deliver him from the cross. He didn't deliver him from crucifixion and death. But he delivered him through 
crucifixion and death and restored him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. I mean, that's, that's, you know, I, I go back to the Daniel and the lion's den story. No, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego story, excuse me, in Daniel. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Yes, Daniel works too. You're right. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God didn't save them from experiencing the fiery furnace. He saved them through the experience. And that's the promise we have. Okay, PowerPoint, one last point, then we'll move on. Affliction. Paul says also in 2 Timothy, or 2 Thessalonians, he says that the man of lawlessness will appear. Go back to the, the Elmo for just a moment. He's talking about the second coming of Christ. And he says, now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter that someone says, hey, I think this came from Paul, to the effect that the day of the Lord's come and you missed it. Let, oh, no one deceive you in that way. Because it's not coming unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed, the son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself against every so-called God worship. There's going to be this. Now, the man of lawlessness, that is a pungent word for Paul to use because the Hebrews had a great love for the law. And I've given you in your materials, you'll have to read it on your own, but Psalm 119 is a psalm, it's a psalm that's got the passage, Oh, how love I the law. It is my meditation night and day. How about this? How can a young man, how we think, affects who we, how we live. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Go back to the bowl of spaghetti. You see, you've got another noodle in your life and, and you hit affliction, thalipsis, and you, you respond in a positive way with God and there's more thalipsis and it keeps bending your noodle and your noodle gets bent all sorts of ways. But in the process, you're staying in the Word of God and you're studying and you're saying, oh, I'm supposed to commit it to heart. I'm going to do that. And it changes who you are and the shape of your life and your noodle. And I'm telling you, all of this stuff affects you. I can't tell you, here's a one, two, three book on how to live. I can tell you it's as complicated as a bowl of spaghetti. But you turn your life to Jesus and you get plugged into His Word. You get plugged into His church. You get plugged into His fellowship. You spend time in worship. You learn these new songs like that ocean song that we've been singing. And it'll change who you are. Don't flatline your noodle. Anybody who reads EKGs will tell you flatline is not the way to go. Just give me that flat line on the EKG. I'll be happy. Three calories. Okay. So back to the PowerPoint, if we could. Um, man of lawlessness. So here are my key takeaways for me from this, this week's reading. And I hope that there'll be key takeaways for you. First of all, I'm going to take ownership of my thoughts. This is my brain. Well, I've technically given it to God and also to Becky. But this is my brain. I am not going to believe the lie that I can't take ownership of my thoughts. That is a lie. The redeemed person has been set free from the law of sin and death. The the chains that Satan can wrap around you do not have power by the blood of Jesus. Take control of your thoughts. Take ownership of your thoughts. I'm going to be working on being as godly as I can be, knowing it starts in my heart and in my mind. Number two, I want to be steadfast in Thalipsis. 
When affliction comes to me, I want to not just take it laying down. I want to stand up by the power of God, by the blood of Jesus, confident in the saving power of my God, confident that suffering is not something I need to run from. Oh, God, if you're a good loving God, you'll never make me suffer. Oh, no, you're going to suffer in this world. Jesus suffered in this world. You're going to suffer in this world. The world is a suffer producer. And if you're in this world, you're going to get the suffering produced by the world. It's a fact. But when it comes, by the grace of God, He's going to teach me how to stand up in it. He's going to teach me how to walk in it. We had a chance to visit with a mother from our church who lost a 20-year-old son at a visitation Friday night. And I looked at her with tears in my heart and said, I don't know how you do this. And she looked at me and she said, only by the strength of God. What a testimony. Last, I'm going to commit to better knowing God and His ways. I'm going to commit to studying. I'm going to commit to being plugged in. I'm going to commit to worship. I'm going to commit to fellowship. I'm going to commit to my family. I'm going to commit in every way I can to know God better. I want the full bowl of spaghetti. That's where it comes from me. So if you will join me in a word of prayer. Lord, that's our prayer for for all of us. I pray that you would touch all of us. And, and Lord, stir up within us a recognition that you've given us an ability to take captive our thoughts for you. We deliver our brains to you. We deliver our minds to you. We want your spirit to renew who we are. We want you to give us and teach us self-control. Teach us a nobility that's, and, uh, that, that's, that's a Christian nobility. We want you, Lord, to, to, to guide us and, and, and help us through suffering and, and affliction. Give us wisdom in how to live before you. Give us confidence in the way you, 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 you do that. Confidence in you. Lord, take us deeper. Grow us more and more and more in our knowledge and love of you and in the way we express that in sanctification of our lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.